we don't just sing it, but we believe it and we declare it over this church. We declare it over every person in this room today, over every member of this church, over every family connected to this church. Lord, we declare that over the city of Laramie, that there is more to come, that your power on display in our lives is yet to even touch the surface of what you want to do. And Lord, we just declare that you're going to do incredible things through this church. You're going to do incredible things in the lives of the individuals that are here today. You're going to do incredible things in the families of this church. We believe and we trust and we declare in the name of Jesus that greater things are yet to come. Lord, that we believe that these signs will follow those who believe that greater things than you did, we will do and we will see. We thank you for the people who have touched in their body, even here today in this room. We're thankful for the restoration of relationships and the restoration of family relationships that you're, you're moving in today. We thank you for financial needs that you're able to meet in this place today. We just trust you with every need that we have, every situation of our lives. We're thankful for a God who's alive and able and who cares about us. As we turn to your word today, I pray that it would become alive to us, that it would draw us closer to us in a real way, that you'd speak to us beyond what my words are able to. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you put your hands together and just worship him this morning? It's awesome what God can do in his presence. Sweet spirit here today. Thanks for, for being here. You may be seated this morning. Let our worship team know how much you appreciate them for leading us in his presence today. If you want to turn to your Bibles to James chapter 3, verse 13. I've noticed that we live at a time and an age of information overload in our world today. It's easy to see that through technology, there's more information available to people than ever before. Do you want to know something or anything at all? Just Google it. Or you can ask Siri if you have one of those fancy smartphones. and Siri can give you the answer to just about anything. There's information in our very fingertips like never before. However, in the midst of all of this information and our access to knowledge and all these things, have you ever wondered why there isn't more wisdom? <laughs> what about wisdom in our world today? What are we doing with the, all the information that we have access to? Is it making us wise or is it making us just more knowledgeable? Well, wisdom is the issue that James addresses in the last five verses of James chapter 3. And that's what we're going to look at today in a message that I've titled, Two Kinds of Wisdom. And if you've not been with us here uh, at New Life over the last few weeks, we're in a sermon series on the book of James. This is week number six out of 11 weeks. We have a reading plan and a social media discussion post that are there for you to interact with, and I hope that you'll take advantage of those. Uh, last Sunday was week number five. And we looked at the first part of James chapter 3. It talked about taming the tongue and the difficulty and the challenges that we have in taming the tongue. And so remember that these topics are not unrelated. This is one letter that was written by one author to, to uh, many, uh, many people in an audience, including us today. And so the, the issue of taming the tongue and the issue of using wisdom are not unrelated. They're very, uh, very easily go hand in hand together. And so we're going to read verse 
13 through 18, and these are the verses that immediately follow the topic that we were in yes, uh, yet last week about taming our tongue and controlling the things that we say. And this is what it says in James 3.13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Everyone wants to raise their hand, but you better hold on for the second part. Let them show it by their good life and by the deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. We're going to press pause right there. There's a common theme that you're going to see if you haven't already through the book of James. He's challenged us to not be hearers only, but to do it, to be doers of his word. He's challenged us that if we really want to have a faith that's worth anything, it's got to be a faith that's lived out and put into action. So here, once again, he says, how many of you think you're wise? Well, then prove it by the life that you live. He's repeating throughout the course of this letter that it's not enough just to say you believe something. It's not enough to show up on a Sunday morning and sing that you believe something. If your life doesn't match, then you really don't believe that. And it's the same is true with being hearers and doers of God's word. The same is true with putting our faith into action. And the same is true when it comes to this topic of wisdom that he's discussing. These are not unrelated topics. So verse 14, he continues and says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Next Sunday, we'll talk about the first few verses of chapter 4. We really are so connected to this. I struggled not covering it really today in the message as well because it's so connected. He starts off asking, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't it, doesn't it come from the evil desires that are at war within you? And I can't get on the next week's sermon, but this, it, all, it all applies together. The issue of controlling our tongue, the issue of using wisdom, the issue of us having these conflict and these issues in our lives, it's all interrelated. The Bible gives us so many examples of people to whom God gave wisdom. We have the story of, of Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his own brothers because they were jealous of him. And God responded, and what did he give Joseph? He gave him favor. And he gave him unusual wisdom to be able to interpret dreams and to be an advisor to the king of Egypt. And as a result, he was appointed as governor over all of Egypt and put in charge of the palace. That's the wisdom that only comes from God. During the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, there was a man by the name of Daniel that was described as having insight and understanding and wisdom. He also interpreted dreams and was an advisor to the king. When was the last time you've ever heard of slaves becoming advisors to the king and being appointed into to positions? That's only the favor and the wisdom that comes from God. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. He asked God for wisdom, and God answered his prayer and gave him so much that he became famous for it. You see, James told us about wisdom and earlier in his letter. In James 1.5, he says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. God is able to give us wisdom beyond anything that we can acquire on our own. James gave us the source of the wisdom that we should desire as Christ followers. And now in chapter 3, 
he comes back to revisit the topic of wisdom and he tells us that there are two kinds of wisdom that you can acquire. There's the wisdom that comes from God. There's the wisdom that, that many people buy into that's the wisdom of the world. And we're going to look at these two types of wisdom by comparison and contrast that James gives us. We're going to look at the origin, the nature, and the fruit of each of these kinds of wisdom. And the first of those is the contrast and origin. We see that earthly wisdom is not from above. Verse 15 tells us that such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So the origin of earthly wisdom is, is worldly wisdom that's according to the knowledge of worldly standards and philosophies. James isn't the only one to tell us this. We can think, well, maybe James is just kind of, you know, getting on his soapbox, and this is just, you know, where, how come I haven't heard about two kinds of wisdom before? Well, it's there, and it's clear to see throughout the Bible that there's, there are two kinds of wisdom. Corinthians 1.20 says that, that uh, God has made foolishness of the wisdom of this world. It continues in verse 25 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and it goes on to say that the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. There's another wisdom separate than that that comes from God, and it says that the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Throughout the book of James, we see him comparing and contrasting the way that God would have us to live and the way that the world and the standard of the world would say is the right way to live. And James is trying to make the point over and over again because he doesn't want his readers to be deceived that they've got some kind of faith or they've got some kind of relationship that they don't have if it's not evident in their lives. And so once again, when it comes to wisdom, he's saying there's a wisdom from God and there's a wisdom from this world and you have to choose which one you're going to buy into. Worldly wisdom is according to what feels right but not what is morally right. And finally, it's described in the book of James as, as being demonic, and that may seem harsh. And I'm not the kind of person that likes to give the devil too much credit. I don't think that everything is a spirit, although I do understand that we are in a spiritual battle and that the enemy is seeking whom he can devour. But the Bible gives multiple examples of the devil trying to use reasoning and logic to oppose the commands of God. It's a biblical pattern, and what James is saying here is not off base. Since the very beginning of the Garden of Eden, do you remember what the serpent said to Adam and Eve? Did God really say? That's the wisdom that comes from this world, and it's the same kind of wisdom that he's going to tempt you with. It's evident in our culture today where people say, does the Bible really say? Did God really mean your interpretation is wrong? All these things is stemming from the worldly wisdom, and it's just an attack of the enemy that he wants to use to cause you to question the truth of God's word. But we contrast that worldly, earthly wisdom to the heavenly wisdom that's from above. James 3.17 tells us that this wisdom is from God. We already read in James 1.5 that it comes through prayer. If anyone lacks wisdom, they should ask God who gives generously to all. The source of the wisdom from above is only from God. There's a contrast in origin. Earthly wisdom coming from this world under the influence of the demonic and heavenly wisdom that comes from God. Not only... Is there a contrast in origin, but there's a contrast in nature? When we read uh, about how the earthly wisdom is described, listen to how it describes it in verse 16 and 17. It says it's full of bitter envy. This means an, an intense jealousy. It's full of selfish ambition, meaning that it's self-seeking in the heart. And isn't that just 
Uh, what we see in our world today is that everyone is only concerned with what benefits them in the here and now. Selfish ambition values power. It values position and your status in life. It, it values privilege and prestige and pride and accolades and all of the things that bring recognition to self. This is the kind of wisdom that, that prompted Satan and his angels to rebel against God because of the, what they could obtain for themselves. This is the kind of wisdom that caused the disciples to argue over who would be greatest in God's kingdom when they're entirely <coughs> missing the point of what his kingdom is about. <coughs> James goes on to say about this wisdom that where you find it, you find disorder and you find every evil practice. That's the fruit of earthly wisdom. We'll get into that a little bit more in just a little bit. This kind of, of description, it fits what we read about in the Bible in, in Judges chapter 17, verse 6, when it says that in those days Israel didn't have a king, and as a result, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In our world today, you see a lot of people that are doing and believing what's right in their own eyes. There's no moral absolutes. There's no uh, truth. What's your truth isn't necessarily my truth. I'm going to live according to my truth, but unfortunately that's not what the Word of God tells us. In contrast to everyone doing what's right in their own eyes, Proverbs 3, 7 says, Don't be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and shun evil. Heavenly wisdom, in contrast to earthly wisdom, is ascribed this way. It says it's first of all pure, mm -hmm. meaning it's without compromise. It's peace-loving, means it doesn't seek Conflict. Remember the verses after this next week that we're going to get into, he immediately begins to talk about the, the conflict and the, the turmoil and what causes these wars that we have between each other. The wisdom that's from God is peace-loving. It's not seeking conflict. It says it's considerate. Some versions say gentle. It's submissive. It's willing to yield to the right things while willing to stand firm on the things that are most important. It says it's full of mercy meaning that it's quick to forgive and understanding of our own need for mercy. It produces good fruit. It's impartial and sincere, meaning that it's without hypocrisy. Notice from this list some familiar topics that we've talked about through the book of James. James has talked about mercy in chapter 2. He says that judgment without mercy is given to anyone that's not merciful. So when it appears that James is coming down really hard on some of these topics and, and it doesn't appear like there's a, a lot of mercy, James covers mercy and he comes back to list it here as a part of the wisdom that comes from God. He says we all stumble in many ways. Last week we talked about that. But thank God we have a God that's full of mercy. It's not about perfection in our life, but it's about progression. Repeatedly he's talked about the producing good fruit. When he talks about being a hearer and a doer, about faith, he's talked about is the fruit of your life consistent with the faith that you claim? And now he's relating also to the fruit that comes from a life that's lived from the wisdom that comes from God. In chapter 2, he talked about partiality and favoritism and prejudice. And once again, he comes back to say that the wisdom that's from God is impartial. He says it's sincere. He's talked about hypocrisy. Not just being a hearer, but being a doer of God's word. So James is revisiting these topics, and he's advocating once again that there's a different way that a Christ follower's life is going to look than what a non-believer's life is going to look like. If you claim to have faith, then your life is going to look different. 
And the difference is a life guided by the wisdom of the world and a life guided by heavenly wisdom. They don't look the same way. There's different fruit produced by each one. So there's a difference in the origin of the wisdom, and there's a difference in the nature of the wisdom. And finally, there's a contrast in their fruits. Verse 16 and 17, it says that earthly wisdom produces confusion and disorder and every evil thing. You have to evaluate your life from time to time. And this is not to say by any means that, that every time you have a bad day that you're sinning. That every time that you have a problem, if you stub your toe, then, then God must be angry at you. That's not the issue at all because the Bible tells us. And James even began his letter by talking about the trials and the temptations that we are all going to face that are all a part of life. But you do have to ask yourself if consistently you see the fruit that's coming out of your life looks like confusion and disorder and every evil thing, then that's no longer just a bad day. That's no longer an attack of the enemy. You have to ask yourself, is my life producing fruit because of the things that I'm sowing? Am I just reaping what I've sown? And when it talks about the fruit of heavenly wisdom, it says that the fruit is peace. And that reaping a harvest of righteousness comes from the things that have been sown. Proverbs 3.13 says, Blessed are those who find wisdom. Why? Because if you sow into godly wisdom, that's the fruit that you're going to reap. If you sow into godly wisdom, that's the fruit that you're going to reap. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have a bad day. It doesn't mean that you're never going to be sick. It doesn't mean, no, it means that the fruit that you're going to consistently see from your life is going to be in keeping with what you have sown. Mm -hmm. There's three things that are true about sowing and reaping. The first is that you're always going to reap what you sow. We know this from agriculture, and I don't know a lot about it, but I know that you're never going to plant an apple seed and get a pine tree. It's just not the way that it works. You're going to reap what you sow. The second thing is you're always going to reap more than what you sow. And so the, the bad news for you today is if you've been sowing according to earthly wisdom, if you've been sowing according to the way of the world, then you're going to reap. And you may have only sown a little bit, but what you're going to reap is going to be a lot bigger than the things that you've sown. The good news for you is if you're sowing according to godly wisdom, if you're sowing according to the faith that you claim to have, then the harvest that you're going to reap is going to be so much greater. Jesus talks about the faith of a mustard seed that moves mountains. All that you have to plant in your life is just a little bit. If you just sow a little bit into the wisdom of God for your life and for your family, you're going to reap benefits long beyond what you've sown. And the third thing is that you're always going to reap later than you sow. So you may be sowing into the wisdom of this world right now, and you may feel like there's no, uh, there's no consequences for those things that you've sown, but, but don't, be, don't be fooled, don't be deceived, as James would say. You're going to reap what you sow. It may not happen now, it may be tomorrow, maybe when you least expect it, but whatever it is you sow, you're going to reap. We like the, the initial pleasure that comes from immediate gratification of, of what can we do to make ourselves feel good, what can we do to cause the, the immediate uh, benefit in our, in our lives. And sometimes the immediate benefit of the things that we sow is going to feel good, but the long-term results that we're going to reap as a result of that are going to be painful in our lives, but we're simply reaping according to what we've sown. According to Scripture, there's only two choices as to where we can sow. There's not a million choices. There's not a thousand, not a hundred, and not even ten. There's two choices. I can sow into the godly wisdom that's going to produce a harvest of righteousness in my life, or I can sow according to the wisdom of this world, and I'm going to have to 
reap the consequences of those decisions. Through the fruit in our lives, we can spot the kind of wisdom that we're operating in. And this may sting a little bit, and of course it will, because James is talking to us, and James isn't trying to be our friend as much as he wants us to not be deceived into thinking that everything in our life is fine if that's not the case. So listen to how you spot the two kinds of wisdom in your life. The roots of false wisdom are earthly, so they don't take eternity into consideration. It's only concerned with the here and now. So the decisions that you make and the way that you live your life, the ways that you spend your money are only concerned with the here and now because earthly thinking and earthly wisdom will tell you that this is all that you should be concerned with. There's no consideration for what's to come. There's no kingdom principles. There's no eternal values. Earthly wisdom says things like, God just wants me to be happy. And I'm sorry, but you're going to have to show me that verse in the Bible because I've never found it. The idea that following God always makes us happy, it's not in my Bible. We discern what makes us happy by what makes us happy in the moment. The Bible doesn't talk near as much about happiness as it does about the joy of the Lord. and That that joy comes from things that are not temporary in the moment. You can be sick and you can be full of joy. You can get a diagnosis from the doctor that you don't like and you can be full of joy. You can have a problem in your family and you can be full of joy because you're focused on what eternally matters instead of the temporary things that are in front of you. Maturity teaches us that the things that we are convinced will bring us happiness are only temporary pleasures that don't bring lasting happiness. I can sow into the here and the now and I can please myself which ultimately is going to please the sinful nature, or I can sow into what matters for eternity and ultimately please God. But we're going to reap according to what we sow. Mm -hmm. If everything that we're sowing into is just for the here and now, then we've already received our reward. We're a lot like a five-year-old going to the fair. Some of you that I know we're getting into rodeo and fair season across Wyoming, and some of you are going to take the kids and the grandkids to the fair. And you know what a five-year-old does at the fair? Oh, the snow cone's going to make me happy. I want the snow cone. And then five minutes later, oh, the games will make me happy. I have to play the games, and now I need the pretzel or maybe the turkey leg. No, there's cotton candy. I have to have the cotton candy. Only the cotton candy will make me happy. Oh, there's a horse. I want to ride the horse. And the five-year-old thinks that they know what will make them happy, but they have no idea, and oftentimes neither do we, because we're only looking for happiness in the moment, and those moments... Are, are just temporary. We want the relationship so that we can be happy. If only we got the job or the raise and then the promotion. Maybe if we lived in the right neighborhood or drove the right car. We just know that those things would make us happy. But the reality is, is that no one has betrayed you more than you've betrayed yourself. No one has lied to you like you have lied to you. No one has deceived you more than you deceive you. We're all pretty awful to ourselves. And you know why? Because that's the fruit of earthly wisdom. When we begin to operate in earthly wisdom, we begin to tell ourselves lies that are only good for the moment, and then they, they're gone. Here's what the Bible says about this in Luke chapter 15. Jesus tells a story of a man who accumulated a lot of stuff, and his motto was this, take life easy, have the time of your life, eat, drink, and be merry, because you're not going to die till tomorrow. This is similar to what we hear in our culture all the time. You only live once, right? YOLO, live it up because you only live once. This is your time. This is your moment. This is what matters. 
But God said to him in Luke 15, verse 20, You fool, what if you die tonight? What good then is your barn full of goods? This is what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. You know why it's easy for Christ's followers to tithe and to give offering and to support missionaries around the world. This is why they serve other people. This is why Pastor Hannah, who is going to come and share with you in just a moment about how she raised money and went to Bosnia and show you some pictures of what God did through her. This is why she would take that time and that money that could have been spent other ways to go and serve in that country. This is why there's a team of 30 people that are raising money and taking time to come to Laramie to help us do mega sports camp and serve in this community that's not their own. This is why James tells us that we can take care of the orphans and the widows and their need and why we give up Saturdays to help people move and we serve at the soup kitchen and all these things. These are things that don't make sense according to the world's wisdom. They aren't about the here and the now. They only make sense in light of eternity. It's the fruit of the wisdom that comes from above. It's been said that wisdom is not measured by degrees, but by deeds. Mm -hmm. In other words, knowledge is the accumulation of information, but wisdom is the application of that information. Knowledge and wisdom, they're obviously related, but they're different things. Just because someone has a lot of information doesn't mean that they apply that information to their life. Doesn't mean that the source of their information is from God. In order for information to have a practical effect, it must be applied. That's, that's wisdom. Think about it in terms of heart surgery. Would you want a surgeon that knew all about the heart, that could tell you all the details and the stats and the facts, but they've never performed a surgery before? Is that who you're going to choose to be your surgeon? If you're like me, I don't care how much the first surgeon knows. He can know everything backwards and forwards. I want the one that's actually applied the knowledge that he knows. Mm -hmm. I want the one that has the experience that's been there and done that. Wisdom, like faith, is demonstrated in our actions. Mm -hmm. There's fruit in our lives as a result of the wisdom that we choose to employ in our life. If our wisdom comes from God, it's going to be evident in the actions and the decisions that we make. It's going to be evident in the way that we live our lives because we're not living only for the here and now. Does that mean that you shouldn't put any money in retirement and just the rapture's coming soon, so don't, don't plan? No, that's not what I'm talking about here at all today. <laughs> I'm telling you that it's not just about the here and now, that there's, there's eternal values that matter doesn't mean you don't use wisdom in your life. But that there's a, there's a wisdom that comes from above. There's a wisdom that, that navigates and guides our lives. It's greater than just the wisdom that we have on this earth. Are there some areas of your life that you're operating in today that are obviously from earthly wisdom that contradicts the wisdom that's from above? Are you living in fear instead of faith? Are you looking at only at the things that you can see in front of you instead of trusting God for those things that are unseen? Wisdom that comes from above, it won't make sense with wisdom that's based exclusively on the here and now. You know what the world calls that? They call it foolishness. Giving up your time to serve somebody else, time is limited. You're not getting any more of that. That's foolishness. Giving 10% of your income to tie to the church, that's foolishness. Supporting missionaries above and beyond that, that's foolishness. That's foolishness according to the world. 
wisdom that comes from above won't make sense with the wisdom that's based exclusively on the here and now. There's no greater example of this than Jesus. He left heaven to come to earth. That's foolishness. He was God, but yet he became flesh like us. That's foolishness. He lived a perfect and a sinless life, and yet he willingly went to the cross to pay the price of a sin that he didn't commit. That's foolishness. But Jesus understood there's no other way. Jesus understood that there was something of eternal value that was greater than the temporary moment. And so he willingly accepted the cross for us. Why? So that we, who are not even close to him, would have the opportunity for forgiveness and relationship. The Bible says, greater love has no man than this, that he gives his life for his friends, but Jesus did something different. We weren't even his friends. We were as far away as you could be. See, the Bible says in Romans 5 that very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. For, for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, that's when Christ died for us. And that's as foolish as you could be, according to the world's standards. But that's the example that we have Today, I want to give you an opportunity if you're here today and you're not in a right relationship with the Lord. Maybe you have been at one point in your life, but if you really evaluate your life, you look at it and you see that the, the actions, the fruit that's coming out of your life, it's not in keeping with faith, that you've been a good hearer of God's word, but you, you failed to be the doer that he desires for you to be, that you haven't put your faith into action and now it's began to die. If you walked in here today and you're not in a right relationship with God or you were at one time but you know that you're not now, I want to give you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. There's no greater application of the wisdom that comes from above than acknowledging your need for God and inviting Him to be the Lord of your life. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray a simple prayer today. It's nothing special or magical about my words. We're simply doing what the Bible says when it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And in doing so, you can take the first step in your new relationship with Christ. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So I'm going to invite every person here to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. While I was far away in sin, you chose that moment to demonstrate your love for me. Today I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I believe when he died on the cross, he died for my sins. And today I confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. With every head bowed, every eye closed, respecting the privacy of others around you, if you prayed that prayer today, for the first time, or maybe you've prayed it before, but you know when you walked in here today that the fruit of your life was not a harvest of righteousness, that you were in need of a relationship with God. And today you, you began that relationship with God for the first time, or you renewed it and said, today I'm recommitting my life to Christ. If that's you today, either of those situations, would you just slip your hand up today right where you are and say, today I prayed that prayer and made that decision to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Anybody here today? 
Awesome. Thank you so much. If you prayed that prayer today, I want to encourage you. We've got a free gift for you. Look right up here on each of the altars. There's one of these booklets I'd love to give you as a gift today just to recognize the decision that you made and to help you in your new life with Christ. Today, in remembrance of the sacrifice and a recognition of the love of God and the wisdom that comes from above, we're going to take communion. We've already said that Jesus' example of giving himself was probably in the world's eyes the greatest act of foolishness, but it is the wisdom of God. And today we're going to remember what he did. We're going to remember the sacrifice that he made and acknowledge the wisdom that comes from above that guides our lives through taking these elements today. So I'm going to invite our ushers to come. Everybody is invited to receive communion with us today. You do not have to be a member of this church. We simply ask that you be a believer in Jesus Christ. Maybe you just prayed that prayer right now and made that decision. They're going to serve the elements, hold those, and we'll receive those together here in just a moment.
tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was surrounded by his closest of followers, and he took the bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat this bread, you do it in remembrance of me. So today, as we're acknowledging that there's two kinds of wisdoms God saw fit in the economy of heaven, that Jesus' body would be broken so that ours would be spared. It's foolishness to the world, but that's the wisdom of God. And we remember the sacrifice and what it means for us today. Sister Leon, would you pray over the bread for us today? Bible teaches us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And so the old way was through sacrifices in a temple and animals. And the Bible also says that the blood of goats and sheep was never sufficient to pay the price of our sin. It was a continual, ongoing thing that would never, never be done. And so on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus also took the cup and he told his closest followers and he told us... <laughs> this is his blood that's poured out for us. And as often as we drink this cup, we do it in remembrance of him. There's power in the blood of Jesus beyond anything that we're able to produce or come up with on our own. This represents the forgiveness of our sins. It represents freedom over the enemy. It represents not the defeat through Jesus' death. It represents his victory through his resurrection and through his life. And the fact that through it, we also have life. Josh, would you pray over our cup today? God, we thank you for just your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you that, that we have been made pure and blameless in your sight because of that sacrifice. Lord. And we just we take this cup in remembrance of the victory you had. song and I just invite you to worship to continue to reflect on that sacrifice that Christ made let's just take a moment and evaluate our lives the same kind of wisdom that caused Jesus to be focused on the eternal to willingly go to the cross is that the kind of wisdom that we employ in our lives are we overly focused on what feels good what puts us ahead in the here and now What's the nature and the origin and the fruit of the wisdom that we're employing in our lives? And if it's not the wisdom from heaven, then take a moment right now to evaluate those areas of your life that 
need to be aligned with kingdom priorities here today. looking for progress in our lives. You're looking 
that we would be closer to your image day by day and we would become more and more like you. Lord, I'm thankful that your word instructs us that if we lack wisdom, we can ask God who gives generously to all. Lord, I, I acknowledge myself. I'm in need of your wisdom every day of my life in every area of my life. So Lord, I pray that the wisdom that we employ in our lives would not be wisdom that makes sense in light of the here and now, but Lord, a wisdom that comes from above that's according to your word and to your spirit in our lives. And while it may appear to be foolishness in the eyes of the world, Lord, we know that you're working something in us that's greater than anything that we can accomplish or achieve in this moment in this life. We thank you for it. We thank you for a church that has a priority that people far from you will be able to experience new life in Christ. Help us as the participants in that vision, as the members of this church, to embody that in our lives. The world around us would see the way we live our lives. They would see our good works and they would glorify our Father in heaven. We thank you for that. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.